0: Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's cc podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Genesis. We're going to continue our study in Genesis tonight. We'll pick up in Genesis 45. We're making our way toward the end. Uh, as you're turning there, just a reminder, next week is Love Cola week. It is a week geared towards rallying the church throughout the Midlands to come together and serve our community in practical ways, kind of all at once, the church in effect converging upon the city and uh, making a difference in jesus name and uh, there's opportunities to serve, of course, as a part of Calvary Northeast. In the e-bulletin online, you can check those opportunities out. Uh, We're doing a a drive for needs at Toby's Place and Oliver Gospel Mission. There's a bin in the lobby. Many things have already been showing up and moved over to the office. So a lot of you are already doing that. Thank you. Continue to bring those in. If that's how you want to participate, there's going to be work done here at the church next week. Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll be sorting a mass amount of clothing sorting through donations that have come in and kind of trying to figure out what's suitable to go to those ministries, Oliver Gospel and Toby's Place. So you can come if you want to be a part of that, sorting things and then helping to deliver that on Thursday if you'd like. Um, Reconciliation Ministries, they're a residential ministry over off of St. Andrew's Road. We've done a lot of work with them and we're going to be putting in a a ramp into one of their apartment buildings to make for safer access. And so that's going to be happening on Friday and Saturday of next week. We need help with that. And so uh, plenty of opportunities to be involved, and we certainly need your help. So um, go online, sign up for those, and that'll be a great time of, of fellowship as well. Men, it's not too late if you do want to join for the conference this weekend as well. And uh, we will have carpool leaving here at the church on Friday at 5.15 if you're looking to carpool. Otherwise, you're, you're on your own to get over there, okay? And let us know if you, if you want to be a part of that so we can plan accordingly. Okay, Genesis. In Genesis chapter 45, we concluded last week in verse 15. So we're picking back up now at a, a very important place in the life of Joseph and his family, his brothers, uh, the, the tribes of Israel. And this is that moment we left off where Joseph had revealed himself to his brothers uh, after 22 years of them taking him for dead. Uh, here now he is reintroduced to his family. They find out, his brothers find out that, that all along through this crazy set of circumstances and experiences of their going back and forth from Egypt during a time of famine, that here this guy that they were dealing with, who was in some respects treating them very unusually, is in fact their brother. And so we can only begin to imagine what this experience was like, not only for Joseph, as he now is is saying to his brothers it 's me i 'm alive, but for his brothers uh, they 're speechless and and so now this reunion is happening and I think one of the most important things for us to see in this is just the the grace, the mercy that is, that is demonstrated on the part of Joseph towards his brothers. Of course, for us, a picture of God towards us, Joseph serving as a picture of, of Jesus. And so uh, as we, we pick up here, um, we're, we're now picking up at a place where the news of this is traveling throughout the land. Of course, Joseph was a very important person in Egypt. And so people are excited to, to hear about what was happening. And we're going to see that Joseph sends now for his family to bring them all to to Egypt to care for them. And this is where we pick up in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 45. Let's read together through verse 20. It says, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. Now remember, Joseph had been weeping in such a way that he had sent anybody who was a part of his household, who worked for him, any of his servants, he had sent them all the way, but they could hear him throughout the house, weeping and no doubt wondering what in the world is going on there. So of course they're going to want to know. And so of course they, they learned this is his family. And so they said, Joseph's brothers have come. And so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all, the land of Egypt is yours. Now, this is an incredible turn of events for these men. Uh, It's been an emotional roller coaster, certainly, for them as they have come and gone from Egypt. And there's been moments of fearing, no doubt, for their their death or their captivity, to then moments of of great blessing being poured out upon them. And certainly, this is the, the pinnacle of that, that now they're being told, this is your brother, he's the one in charge. And and go get your family come we're going to give you the be- the best of the land you're going to have an opportunity to to thrive here and this is the first time in a while that really any mention of pharaoh has come into play and so certainly up to this point it has in fact been joseph who's kind of served as the the one in charge and we know that he was second only to pharaoh and so now pharaoh learns of this and Obviously, his appreciation for Joseph is, is still great. Joseph has done a, a great job and will continue to do so as the famine is, is far from over. There's still five years left of the famine. And, uh, and so clearly, Pharaoh has a lot of confidence in Joseph to say, bring, bring your whole family. And listen, when you tell somebody on a Sunday afternoon, hey, bring your whole family. We're going to bless you with dinner. You're probably thinking, you know, you you, you five, six people seven. Maybe there's some of you that are like, yeah, we're a family of 10. And you're like, ooh, okay. It's still okay. Joseph's going to bring 70. Okay. He's going to, there's 70 people that are going to show up. And, and here's the thing about that. Normally too, when you say bring your family, you know, you know that they're going to leave, right? <laughs> as much as we love each other, you're like, they're going to go home at some point. So even if it's 10 of them, we'll feed them and they'll go home. Joseph's family is not going to go home. <laughs> they're going to stay. He's saying, you come, stay. They're going to come as 70 and they're going to leave as 2 million. So they're going to grow. <laughs> they're going to expand. And, uh, and so this is not to be taken lightly here that Pharaoh's saying, come on. So Joseph here, he, he, he says, by the permission of Pharaoh, go home, pack up, move to Egypt. Now, uh, of course, at the time, this makes sense. They're in a, they're in a land that's experiencing great famine, We know that they've run out of resources, and so to move to Egypt, uh, that they'll be cared for, and certainly that Joseph is there, and he's in a position of of power and authority, there's much of this that that makes sense. Uh, And as I've just alluded to, though, we know that these people will be there, Israel will be there for a long time, 400 years they'll end up spending in the land. Uh, And we know that in time, they'll eventually become an enslaved people. Uh, no longer seeming as if they are welcomed, but because of how much they prosper, they begin to be perceived as a threat. Of course, then we 'll see the miraculous exodus as recorded in the book of exodus we 'll get there eventually and so at first this is this is a good thing but but it 's going to become something that uh, they will need to leave behind and and so what we see here on display in in many respects on a micro level in Joseph's life. Uh, And then on a macro level for all of Israel, we see here God's providence. We see his sovereignty. We see how it is that he works things together to care for and provide for his people. Joseph himself will, of course, testify to that at the end of the book. He's already done so uh, a little bit, and, and he will declare it once again in Genesis 50, that what you meant for evil, God meant for good, that I might save, that I might care for my people, that I may save many people alive, as he'll say. And so verse 21, we continue, then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. So he's given them resources to do this. He's given them a moving truck and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments and so he's, he's not giving them just carts to move their belongings, but he's clothing them, he's covering them. And he gives, he gives such to every one of them, but to Benjamin. So, he, so here Joseph continues uh, blessing Benjamin uh, more so than the rest of his brothers. To Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. So to his other brothers, he says, here's a change of clothes. To Benjamin, he says, here's a wardrobe and, and he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. And so he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. And so it's not entirely different than us saying, hey, drive safe, right? Safe travels. I hope the trip goes well. And, and what we see here in this truly is grace. But I mean, we continue to see examples of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. They didn't deserve it. These men, they were, they were shown great mercy. Joseph had already demonstrated mercy to them in that he did not give them what they deserved. One could argue that as they arrived, that Joseph could have played with them for a little while longer, toyed with their emotions, and then thrown them in a pit and said, see how it feels? and I'm going to leave you there, and I'm going to sell you into slavery. And not many people would have looked at that and thought much of it. Maybe some of us would have said, oh, it'd be nice if they could reconcile, but man, they had that coming. He doesn't do that to them. He demonstrates mercy. He doesn't give them what they deserve. Now, certainly then we could say, wow, that's, that's enough, is it not? For him to say, look, I'm, I'm not going to punish you. I, I forgive you. Go ahead and, and go on your merry way. And we would look at that, and we would say, what a, what a wonderful man but we see here that Joseph says, no, I want you to come. I'm, we're going to give you the best of the land. And, and for the journey, I'm going to give you food and resources, and I'm going to clothe you, and I'm going I'm to cover you, and, and I'm going to give you money, and, and I'm going to give you more than what you even came in with. Now, that's grace. That's unmerited favor. They did not deserve those extra blessings, but Joseph, once again, is a picture of Jesus, shows them incredible grace. And what we need to understand is this in many respects should help us to understand mercy and grace in our own lives. And we haven't even begun to experience the full extent of this yet. Anything that you know that God has done in your life as far as demonstrating mercy towards you or even the experiences you've had in your life of his grace towards you, it pales in comparison to what you're going to experience through eternity. We haven't even begun to tap into or to experience or to see or witness or observe all that the Father has in store for us throughout eternity. And so as, as you get just a glimpse of this here, we can just we can begin to imagine, God, your grace is greater. Your mercy is more. How wonderful will that be? And, and, and the other thing that we see here then, as such grace is being poured out upon them, And and we look here, it's not just, certainly there is an element of of grace that is upon all of them, but it's not too difficult for us to see the disparity that exists between Benjamin and the rest of them from dinner, whenever that was, right? As he's heaping five additional portions onto Benjamin's plate to now he's giving them more clothes and, and money. But what we continue to see here is that his brothers don't seem to react in any way. There doesn't seem to be any inclination that they are looking at Benjamin and saying, how dare you, or how unfair this is. And and this is what happens when we have a right view of ourselves. This, This cannot be overlooked here. The fact that he sends them off, he has continued to pour out blessing upon all of them, but upon Benjamin especially, and that his brothers don't react to this. Guys, there's a principle at play here. I think it's fitting once again, and no doubt it's, it's in part because it's just in my mind. But here we've been going through Romans 12 on Sunday mornings. And, and as we considered this past Sunday morning in Romans 12 verses 3 through 5, Paul writes, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. That's verse 3. Remember there, measure of faith being a standard. If we think of ourselves in terms of the standard that we've been given, that being Jesus, then we're going to be very unlikely to think of ourselves highly at all. When we compare ourselves to Christ, it is impossible to think too highly of ourselves. Such that when we then consider uh, what God has done for us, the mercy that he's demonstrated towards us, the fact that the standard is Jesus. We are inclined and should be inclined to simply say, certainly as Paul has said, offer your life to him. But but even beyond that, to just say, Lord, whatever you have for me, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. Lord, I'm grateful. Thank you. And and, and so what I want us to understand here is that, that what we see happening amongst Benjamin and all the brothers, that there, there really does not seem to be any sort of competition, any sort of um, concern over who's getting what, is that this is what happens when we have a right view of ourselves. This is, this is what should happen in terms of unity within the church. What if, what if, when, what if when somebody in the body's blessed with something, It should be our reaction whenever we see our brothers and sisters in Christ who received tremendous blessing to look at that and to say, praise God. That's wonderful. Sadly, that's not always the case for us. Well, God, why do they they get that? I've been working so hard. What what about me? That's our flesh that still exists today, does it not? And, And I'm not saying this from a place of condemnation. I just want us to understand it. And there will come a time when that will be gone. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That there will come a time when, when do you know there, there will be rewards in heaven? Do you know that? Sometimes it's kind of interesting to think about because immediately when we think of rewards, well, we think of, well, what do I have to do to get those rewards? <laughs> and what do I have to do to earn it? And, and, and man, if somebody else has more than me, well, then there's a scoreboard that exists. And now I'm, I'm I'm behind, and what do I need to close that gap? And those of you that are more competitive than others, you're, you're getting revved up. Yeah, yeah. It's always a competition. But in heaven, it's not going to be that way. Yet there will be rewards. There will be different levels of, of what people receive in heaven. But yet it's going to be in such a way where we just all say, praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. High-fiving and encouraging one another in a way where there's, there's no selfishness. So then it should kind of challenge us. Here and now, as Jesus is in the process of working together all things for good, such that we would be conformed to his image and prepared for glory, that maybe now even we could start to practice. And when people are blessed, we could say, awesome. So happy for you. Right? To be others focused. Right? To be selfless is to be thinking of ourself less. Right? And so we see a wonderful principle here at play. And this is what unity within the church should look like. And we're, and we're going to get there. We're going to, we will, I promise, go through all of Romans 12 this Sunday. It's time. It's time for us to go through the, the rest of it. And, and where will Paul take us? He'll begin to take us into a place of saying, look, so this is what the church should look like. This is what unity should look like. And not just in heaven, but here and now. This is the type of unity that can be experienced now. This is the type of unity that Jesus desires for his church. the type of unity that we can support one another and encourage one another and lift each other up and and be happy for each other, even when what someone else receives may seem unfair to say no. Lord, thank you for blessing them. Thank you for that encouragement so So here they go. they seem to be a, a happy family at this point and Verse 25, they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. Imagine the excitement to tell him the news. And at the same time, how did they plan to tell him about this? I I don't entirely know. Scripture, and and no doubt uh, intentionally, doesn't give us a whole lot of insight into how exactly they filled in the gaps (laughs) around, hey, here's why Joseph is alive. So they tell him, verse 26, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Your son, who 22 years ago at the age of 17, we came to you with his garments, saying that he had been torn to shreds, is actually alive and he's in charge over in Egypt. Oh, yeah, I was thinking that. That's kind of what I was, you know, assuming no, not at all. This, this man at this point, who's already pretty old, <laughs> his heart stood still. I, I don't know if that's an eloquent way of saying he had a heart attack. It, one would think at this particular stage of his life, but it's saying he did not believe them. Now, I do not think that Jacob is to be criticized for his disbelief in this moment. This would be a difficult thing for any one of us to go, what? How, how, how could you process such news? But here's what's kind of cool, and what, what Scripture does for us, is that here in his disbelief, notice in verses 25 and 26, in his disbelief, in his struggle to believe, he's Jacob. But as he moves to a place of faith and belief once again, verse 27, he becomes Israel once again. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them. And when he saw the carts, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And remember, fairly consistently, Jacob is called Jacob when he's operating more in the flesh, yet Israel when he is operating by faith. And I don't think it's a coincidence here to say that he he was revived. Now, some certainly suggest here that his heart did stand still, that in effect he passed out and now he kind of comes back to. I don't know about that, literally, uh, but I do think that he began to experience a sense of revival in his life. He he was a man who had grieved the loss of his son from the time that he died had lost him, and he was a man who, as he will tell to Pharaoh uh, here in a little bit, that that many of his days he refers to as evil. He's going to say, my life has been tough. There's been many aspects of my life that have been hard, and then even here recently, to think that he potentially lost Simeon, and then to maybe lose Benjamin, there was some heaviness upon this man, but now he learns that not only is the family that he knew here, as of late, intact, but also that the son that he loved has been restored. Uh, he experiences revival, and, and and as we look at this from just kind of a spiritual perspective, Israel here, though a believer, a believer from that time when he had wrestled with God there at the uh, there at the brook, and 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 God, the angel uh, had had touched Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob's hip. That was a conversion moment for him. And so even though as a believer, we need to recognize here, that he had some struggles in his faith. There were times of doubt. There were times of disbelief. And so he's experiencing revival. Revival is not simply for the unsaved. Revival can sweep through uh, his church uh, at, at any point. Uh, revival is something we should all desire. We, we each should desire when when needed, revival in our own lives and in our own hearts. Consider the psalmist in Psalm 119 over and over and over again. Lord, revive my heart according to your word. Revive me, Lord, according to your word. Is that your prayer when you're in seasons of doubt and disbelief, when you're struggling? Do you go to the Lord and say, Lord, revive me? And not just revive me, but revive me, Lord, according to your word, according to truth. This still by his Spirit can revive the heart's of believers still today who have fallen into places of doubt and disbelief. And so Jacob now viewing. And, and and consider this here once again. Let's make the connection. Jacob now in a place of viewing the mercies. That have been shown to him and his family. Looking out at the grace that has been demonstrated to his family. By one who was chosen by God to save them. He experiences revival, and he then surrenders to the plan that God has for him, and he sets forth on a journey. Do you think there's a spiritual parallel there for us in Jacob's life? Once again, I, I, I don't, well, I do mean to overstate this. <laughs> I do. This is very intentional <laughs> for us to look at the, the challenge that's been before us in our study of Romans and to say, can I, can I look At the mercy that God has demonstrated towards me. Can I consider the grace that he has shown me. And in response to that. Experience revival in my own life. And to say Lord I believe. And I surrender. I give you my life. And Lord this plan that you have for me. I'm surrendered to it. I'll go. I trust you. And then to set out on that journey. That he has for us. And this was, this was truly a journey because as we continue then here in, in chapter 46, in verse 1, it says, So Israel took his journey with just a few things because he planned to come back. Is that what it says? No, with all that he had. He didn't leave anything behind. He didn't say, well, I'll, I'll be back for that. He didn't say, no, I you know, I, I I really like this particular place, and so what, why don't we just keep it for a summer home? Right? Now I'm not knocking anybody who has a summer home. Just if you have one, just let me know. <laughs> more and more years as a pastor, you get real comfortable just saying, Hey, can I use that? Right? I learned from my mentors long ago. Uh no, he doesn't he doesn't say, Let me keep these different pieces. What it tells us is he took all that he had and he went. He, he abandoned the past, as it were, and set forth on his journey. And so for us, when we think about living sacrifice, when we think about absolute surrender, when we view God's mercy and his grace towards us, when we experience revival that leads to surrender, the intention is it's everything. That's what a living sacrifice is. Us putting ourselves on that altar says, it's all of it. B- but, you know, if this, if this were the altar, we, we tend to want to just go, okay, this, Lord, you can, you can have this. I can figure out how to manage. No, he says, I want it all. You don't get to hold any of it back. He wants all of it. And so here, it, this, is, this is a big journey. He says, pack it all up. But here's the wonderful thing, is that as he's surrendering to this plan, as he's committing, we see him do something else along the way that gives us insight. It says, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. I don't think it was a light thing for Israel to consider, I'm taking everything. I'm taking my whole family. And we're going, we're going to a place where, as far as Jacob was concerned, Egypt, there was some history there. <laughs> if he'd learned anything from his grandfather, he knew sometimes when you go to Egypt, you do stupid things. And so there, there likely was a little bit of, of, of reservation on his part to say, is this, is this the right thing? not from a place of disbelief, not from a place of, I don't want to go because I'm, I'm just super comfortable here, and I just like to stay right here, or I want to just hang on to a few things and instead of surrender. No, this was more of him saying, God, am I, am I doing the right thing? Anybody ever been there before? God moves on your heart, you're experiencing revival in your life, you're saying, God, he's speaking, he's, he's showing me things, and now I'm taking a step of faith, and oh man, this is kind of scary. Lord, am I doing the right thing? There's a lot at stake. Lord, this is my family. These, Lord, is, is this the right thing? And so it seems that then Israel is intent on ensuring that he departs for Egypt with God's blessing. And, and so along the way, he, he, he stops, as it were, to worship, to offer sacrifice, to surrender, to listen for his leading, to seek, to discern his will. Well, how do we do that? How do we know is good, pleasing, and perfect will? Come on. Romans 12.1. <laughs> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may what? Prove. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Guys, the answer is right there. It's right there. Through becoming a living sacrifice, through surrender, through no longer fitting ourselves into the mold of this world, but rather allowing us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we can begin to go, look, this is God's will. I understand his will. I know his will. I'm living out his will because I am surrendered. And so here we see that, that, that Jacob along the way, he's saying, look, here's we're going, but i got to make a stop. i got to worship. i got to surrender. i, I got to be sure that this is what the Lord wants us to do. And we, so we see this pattern over and over and over again. And guys, that's what's there for us too. And, 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 and so often I think we, 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 we wring our hands and we struggle with, Lord, is this your will? And I think so often in that case... It's because we haven't just fully said, "Lord, everything's yours. My life is yours. You, you take it, Lord." And so here he he does just that. He he goes and he he sacrifices and he hears from God. Verse two. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, "Jacob, Jacob," and he said, "Here I am." And, and I can't help but w- when we read, "Here I am," that that there's this sense of excitement, uh, not surprise. I think for Jacob, he knew God's going to God's going to speak. He's faithful but an excitement to go, yes, Lord, I want to hear from you. In verse 3, so he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his his hand on your eyes. Here we see again God saying, do not fear and, and what a wonderful thing it is when, when through sacrifice and surrender on our part, we hear from God and he reminds us, look, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm going to go with you. It may seem a little crazy for you to go here and do this, but I'm, I'm with you. Go as it's a wonderful thing when we get the peace from the Lord, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that guards our hearts and minds and encourages us that, that he's with us in it. And we can go forward with the confidence of saying, I know that this is God's will. It's an amazing thing to be in the will of God and to know it, isn't it? And it's a troubling thing to be outside of it. Now, here's, here's the other thing, is, is that as he's, as he's going then, he, here God reminds him, look, I, he doesn't just say, I'm going to be with you. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I think it's important for us to remember because sometimes when we're seeking to discern the will of God, we can, we can begin to develop some warped views of God. We can begin to, and, and oftentimes too, because we, we look to God as a father, but oftentimes our understanding of father is, is, is distorted because we are raised by sinful fathers, Right? And, and so we can tend to take those attributes and apply them to God and, and maybe begin to think that, that well, gosh, if, if I do the wrong thing here, you know, God's going to, there's going to be consequences and God's just going to have to teach me a lesson. Or, uh, yeah, I've heard it said before too, that, you know, for me growing up, and it's funny, actually, this will come into play here in a moment, um, I grew, you know, grew up in, in Southwest Michigan. And so we weren't far uh, north of the Indiana line. And and growing up the particular areas we would often go to in Indiana where I had extended family they weren't bad, but they also weren't like great. It wasn't awesome, you know. And so my experience excuse me, something's in my eye. Um my experience going to Indiana, I was just often like, I, I don't I don't ever want to go there. <laughs> and so I would often say, like, I'm never gonna go to Indiana. Sorry, Rick. <laughs> it really is a great place. I mean I after all I the Lord got a hold of my life there and did a wonderful work there. But, um, and so I said, I'm never going to go to Indiana. And then people would say in my life, they'd say, be careful. Never say never. God has a funny way. And maybe God is funny that way. But that also sort of puts in your mind that if you say like, I better be careful that I, that I don't let God know that I don't like these things because then he'll make me do these things. Guys, where does it say in the Bible that God just likes to make you do the things that you don't like to do? It doesn't, it doesn't say that. So we develop these weird views of God, right? But what does scripture tell us? In Psalm 84, 11, it says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's who God is. And so as you're seeking to discern his will, do so with the understanding of the truth that Lord, you don't hold anything back that's good for those who walk uprightly. Jesus himself says the same in terms of, which of you who, who your child asks for bread, do you give him a, do you give him a stone? Well, that's just mean, right? That's not who God is. So let's have a right understanding of God as we seek to discern his will. Now in this verse, of course, there is a condition. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So the condition is, I need to walk uprightly. Well, What do you do to walk uprightly? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, give him your life. You want to walk uprightly? You say, Lord, I don't deserve anything. You've shown me tremendous mercy. And because of that, Lord, in view of everything that you've done for me, my life is not my own, it's yours. And Lord, I want to lift my life for you, and I want to walk uprightly, but Lord, I understand that in my mind and in my heart, I can't. I don't know how to do it, Lord. I do not know how to walk uprightly. If I do it on my own, I'm going to fail. And so, Lord, once again, you're so merciful and so gracious that your word has clearly told me that you'll do it if I just surrender my life to you. That, Lord, you'll change my mind. You'll renew my thinking. Lord, so transform my heart and my mind. Renew my mind, Lord. Don't let me try to squeeze myself into the form of this world any longer and to do things the way that the world does it. Because, Lord, that's how I think in terms of walking uprightly. I look at the example around me, which clearly, Lord, is it's failed. I need to think of myself soberly. I need to think of myself rightly in accordance with the measure of faith that I've been given. The standard, that's you, Jesus. And so I'm going to begin to look to you. And, and, and how do I know who you are, Jesus? Well, I look to your word. And I allow the washing of the water of the word to renew my mind and change my perspective and to help me to see what it does mean to, to live uprightly. And so you see, Paul's packed it all in there. And, and so then we can, we can begin to go, I know your will, God. I'm living your will because, because, because you're doing it. My life, because my life is surrendered to you. You've taken control. Do you believe this about God? Do you believe that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly? So then there, from there, verse 5, Jacob arose from Beersheba. And the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives, and the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And so they took their livestock and their goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to Egypt. And Jacob and all his descendants with him and his sons and his sons' sons and his daughters and his sons' daughters and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. It's a wonderful thing here because we see that Israel here has surrendered to God's plan. He's experienced revival in his heart. He's, he's worshiped God. He's sacrificed to God. And now he's leading his family. Remember the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16? And, and he gets saved. And what do they say then of his family? Your whole household. Now, does it mean that when one of you gets saved, that it automatically means that your whole household is saved? No. No. That would be a wrong application. But what we can say with confidence is it sure increases the chances, right? Because they're now living under the blessing of, of those who are walking uprightly and can see that and can observe that and, can, 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 and, and if we're doing things the right way, we'll begin to sow those seeds and, and speak truth into their lives. And, and so it is a, a wonderful thing when, when a man decides, I'm going to lead my family that I'm going to be surrendered, I'm going to seek to walk uprightly, and I'm going to lead my family. And so here we see Jacob, Israel, leading. And, and we know what's going to come from this family. And so then in verses 8 and, and following here, uh, we've got a lot of names, we're going to go through them quickly. Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jacob, Zohar, and Shaul. The son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamuel. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. Now pausing quickly there. Many people do believe that Job, the son of Issachar, is the Job that you read about in the Bible. I'm not entirely certain of that. I don't know that I can say yes. Yeah. Um, I think there's a good argument for it, um, and there's some arguments against it. It's just an interesting thing to consider there, especially as you think of the life of Job, if in fact it is. Uh, the sons of Zebulun, verse 14, were Serad, Elon, and Jaliel. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob, and Padan Aram, with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were thirty-three. The sons of Gad were Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Eridi, and Areli. The sons of Asher were Jimnah, Ishua, Issui, Bariah, and Sarah, their sister, or Sarah. And the sons of Bariah were Heber and Malkiel. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. In verse 19, the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of An, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupin, Hupim, and Ard. Got a good flow to it right there. <laughs> Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. And the son of Dan was Hushim. The sons of Naphtali were Jeziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shalem. These were the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. And all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons, wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. Some people like to point out that uh, absent Joseph and his family, it was 66. Six being the number of man. But when Joseph enters in with his family, it becomes the number of completion, 70. Verse 28, then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. And so Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept. On his neck a good while. This is a good way of saying they, they hugged it out for a long time. And in verse 30, we see here that Israel said to Joseph, "Now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive." If that's confusing, don't know that uh, that they were saying here that Israel was saying, "Okay, I'm just going to die right now." That would seem kind of silly. Like, hey, let's live a little while. You could catch up, right? And and that is in fact what he desires. It's him just saying, "I'm I'm full. I'm full now." It's a powerful thing when someone reaches a point where they sense, that's it. I don't need anything else. I'm completely fulfilled. I'm content. I'm ready. And, and so, what a wonderful thing here to see this reunion and for Israel to have this sense of, Lord, you've blessed me so much. And what if Israel had said, No, I'm not going? Can't be true. My son's dead. What if he said, I, it's just, it just, it's, I'm too old. It's too hard. It's too comfortable. What of all the ways in which we at times fail to yield to God's plan to surrender to his plan. Praise God he's gracious, he's merciful. But oh the things that we could miss that God wants to do in our lives if we don't surrender to his plan. Verse 31 then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household. Now this is interesting here. And this is the last section we'll get into here for tonight but it's important He says, I will go up and tell Pharaoh. So now they're all here. They're all in Egypt. And and he looks to his brothers who he said, we know, look, go, get the family, move back here, right? Now I'll go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, this is interesting here because, from my perspective, it's kind of like one of those things where you'd think, Hey, Joseph, maybe you should have mentioned that before we moved here. Am I right? Like, well, that's something would have been good to know yesterday. That now we are considered the abomination in the land. Now, I have to admit, it's probably not likely that they were ignorant to this. Them being shepherds, they probably knew a certain element of even Egyptian culture that uh, that shepherds. And, and this will continue. We, we know this all the way through the time of Jesus, certainly, that shepherds are, are looked down upon. Um But it is kind of an interesting thing here that now they're in this land and and they're effectively being told, look, you're the lowest of the low. You guys really can't be a part of this world that you just moved to. I I have to think that that made some of them go, what's the deal? And I thought we were going to get the best of the land, but now you're telling us we've got to be careful before we go to Pharaoh to just say, hey, by the way, this is what we do? But here's the interesting thing. And remember, this has been the pattern through this whole time, that the way that we see things isn't always the way that we should see them. To have proper perspective and, and to understand that, don't, that God's hand is upon this. Because look at what begins to happen here. And especially looking at Joseph as, as a type of, of Jesus. Joseph said to his brothers, because of who you are, you cannot. And so let's, let's think about this for a moment. They're standing there. They're thinking, hey, we just arrived. And you're telling us we're the lowest of the low. We're outcasts. Uh, it's an abomination. We are. And, and, and we can look at that and we can think, that may not work out well for you. But what if, what if I translated it this way? What if I said, and now Joseph said to his brothers, because of who you are, because of who God has called you to be, you can't fit yourself into the mold of this world. You're going to be set apart. You're going to be different. Some people are going to look at you with disgust and disdain. You're going to be outsiders. You're going to feel like foreigners. And what if Joseph also says, but I know this guy. I'm going to intercede for you. I got you covered. I got your back. You don't worry about it. You just do what I tell you to do. Does it begin to sound a little different? And so here then in in chapter 47, Joseph, he goes and he tells Pharaoh, my father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And in obedience, they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. It's an amazing thing what blessing blessing can follow obedience. And so these men are told, look, you're going to be looked down upon. And you need to know you don't fit into this world. But I'll go before you. I'll intercede for you. And now these men are given fertile land to dwell in. And they're given responsibility and opportunity. And furthermore, they've been. And and here's the the wonderful thing. And I'm going to try and share it in just a few minutes that I've left these men are now marked, as it were. They're marked because because of of who they are and the fact that they really can't fit themselves into the mold of this world. And so in effect, they are spared from it. We know that Egypt serves as a picture of the world. And so there had to have been, and we know there was, there was reluctance on the part of Israel to say, am am I really supposed to take my family there? But God said, I'm going to be with you and I'll bless you. And guys, the same thing for us as Christians, when we begin to live out our faith, when we live actively for our faith, when we put our faith on display, we become marked people. You can no longer fit yourself into the mold of this world. And as much as you try to, if you try to straddle those things, it is not going to go well for you. It's not. You can try to do it. You can try to say, hey, I'm a believer, but I want to try and fit myself into this mold. And it's going to feel awkward. You're going to be looked at funny. You're going to be, you're going to be ridiculed. or you're going to be, There's going to be a variety of different ways. And with this world just sort of chews you up and spits you out. And so it's important for us to go, look, this is uncomfortable maybe at times. And yes, I feel like a foreigner. I feel like a stranger at times. But the Lord has set me apart and embrace that and allow that to happen. What first may have seemed like a terrible circumstance that was going to make their life hard was now, in effect, a mercy that God was showing them. Saying, look, I'm going to spare you from this world. If I can, while we close, many of you have heard elements of my testimony. You know that I uh, grew up uh, professing to know Jesus, but in effect, my heart was far from him. I went through the motions, religion, tradition. I knew some things of the world, and the Lord certainly was working in my things of the Lord. And, and he was certainly working in my life, but it wasn't until my freshman year of college that God got a hold of me and circumstances quite literally brought me to my knees and I surrendered my life to Christ. And uh, it was an interesting thing at that time because I had gone off to college uh, and that was in Indiana. So there's that connection, right? Here I am in Indiana. I never said i I said I'd never go there and there I am. And uh, I went really with the intentions in in this order, play football, join a fraternity, and get a decent education so I could make a lot of money. And it was a good school, and so I felt pretty confident that I'd be able to do those things, but that was my priority. And uh, in fairly short order, the Lord took away football, took away the fraternity, and caused me to question everything about my calling, and that's part of another story that I've shared as of late. But here's the interesting thing, that before I'd surrendered my life to Christ, and the reason why football was no longer a part of my life is because here I'd gone to play, and and I had had a series of, or maybe it was all one, but doesn 't matter um, concussions were an issue for me, and this was at a time in our country when concussions were just really starting to get a little bit more attention and uh, There I was one day in the in the trainer 's room after a practice and then got my bell rung again, and wasn 't quite responsive and If it explains anything to you about me now, I, I hear it all the time, okay. And so I'm sitting there and the trainer comes up and he kind of tries to get my attention and I'm fairly non-responsive. He gets the light out and doing that whole thing. He's like, man, you got a concussion. And it was at that point that they said, look, this you're not going to the NFL. This isn't d one ball. You got to hang it up, man. Again, hadn't yet surrendered my life to Christ. And, uh, and so I'm wrestling with this now. And this is with one of the idols that the Lord is toppling in my life. And I mentioned this to you to say, to say this. Here I am now. I'm in a fraternity that's really all about football, it's all the football players, and everything that you can imagine about a fraternity is essentially true in terms of the hazing and the lifestyle and the culture, and so here's another one of those nights that, you know, they saw fit to mold us and shape us into these, you know, strong young men that we're just going to force them all to get absolutely drunk beyond any sort of, uh, uh, comprehension, I mean, just the, just the absolute foolishness of the world and the things, that, the dangerous stuff, right? And uh, this is probably on like a Tuesday night. And, and they said, and remember, your grades can't slip and all these types of things, right? And you're just thinking, you guys are idiots. And, um, and here's the thing, here's the reason why I mentioned this is because here, what God was doing in my life, well, because I'm in a house full of football players and because they know the circumstances of what's just recently happened for me, they're at least wise enough to go, this guy can't participate right? And I had just at this time too, started to, even though I didn't know I wasn't saved yet, I'm still operating under the, like I think, and I'm saved. And so I'm beginning to tell people because things are happening in my life and I'm struggling with stuff. And I'm telling guys who are also struggling in the house, I'm saying, well, you guys should, maybe we should pray about this. And, and, you know, Hey, I'm going to try out this church this weekend. And maybe some of you want to want to go to church. And so I'm very quickly becoming a marked man, and, and now I've got this issue going on, and, and again, there's enough wherewithal to go, this guy has to sit this out. And so, so what do I see then? I get a front row seat to the absolute depravity of the world with the most sober mind, and I'm just watching this happen. And I'm sitting back and I'm going, what is this? Where am I? And, and I don't have enough sense in this moment to really go, Lord, but I'm just thinking, this is, this is messed up, right? And these guys are at this point telling me, because I'm starting to say, I don't know that I want to be here. And they're saying, well, if you leave this, if you leave this place and you're one, you're going to fail, you will, you're a loser. We will make your life a living hell. Nobody leaves this house. Nobody survives on this campus. Now you have to remember, this is a very, this is a tight-knit, all-male, heavily athletic 850 student campus, and so they they're, they're like we're we're gonna we're gonna ruin you if you leave, and so all this stuff is happening right, and and so one day I just take off. It's a Saturday. There's a football game. I'm no longer on the team. I've got the opportunity to escape. Nobody knows I'm even there. I pack up all my stuff, fill up my car, and I just bolt. And that's where I start driving. Some of you have heard the other end of the story where I end up somewhere in Illinois. I still don't know where that's at, but it was. In this really cool setting. And that's where I gave my life to Christ. And I returned to the campus. And I spent the night in my car. Because I had nowhere to go. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm done. Like I know Jesus now. I know that. But God. I, I am literally in my car. And I'm at a place. Where I don't fit in. And. These people have said that I'm. I'm a loser. And they're going to ruin me. And now what am I going to tell my parents. Because. You can fill in all the blanks right. And so I just. I just. I just cry out to God. And the next morning, I get a call from the dean of housing. And they say, hey, we heard that you needed a place. I'm like, yeah, kind of. Come check this out. It just so happens we got one left. We don't know why. And here at the top of this one dorm building, which the guys in the house too had said losers live in the dorm. Uh, I went in and there was this corner room. Had extra windows, trees right outside. And they said, there's nobody here. It's yours. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then people start knocking on the door. Hey, man, I see you're moving in. Yeah. And I'm thinking in my mind, you guys must be losers. And one guy comes up, he says, my name's Nick. Hey, where would you go to church? Another guy comes over and he's like, hey, I'm part of a fellowship of Christian athletes. Welcome to the door. Then I get another knock. My friend Josh from the fraternity. <laughs> Can I come too? <laughs> we'll save it for another night, everything that God began to do at that point but I can't help but look at this and go, what what I saw as absolute disaster, my life falling apart, everything that I had put my hope and trust in gone, and it was all God's mercy. Every bit of it was God's mercy, sparing me from a life that would have led me down an absolute disastrous path and placing me in fertile land, giving me responsibility. It was later on that year I became the the." president of the fellowship of christian athletes on campus and over the next two years we grew three times the size of what it was not me god he just put me in a position like a herdsman do you know anybody who can care for my stock it wasn't long after that that i had the chance they were somewhat nicodemus moments but to begin sharing the gospel with the very guys who said that they were going to make my life a living hell and we'll, we'll stop here in this moment where joseph brings his father jacob in who's going to and quite a reversal, be the one who blesses Pharaoh. And so, guys, God can do amazing things, amen, if we just surrender, if we just say, Lord, my life is not my own, it's yours. You will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this night and our time together. What a blessing, Lord. We pray that it's been pleasing to you, that you've been glorified and exalted. And that, Lord, our time in your word by your spirit, Lord, would bring necessary transformation to our hearts and minds. Lord Jesus, you are such a great shepherd. Lord, you lead us, you guide us in ways that we don't even begin to know or understand or see. And so, Lord, as our good shepherd, go before these here tonight. Lord, bless them. Lord, as they follow after you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.